Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Regular, regular viewers. So <clears throat> Nadia, I'll introduce you formally in a moment as we still have uh, people filtering in. But uh, yeah, we're kind of talking about it pre-show. To be a housing economist right now, it's it's like the, you know, it's it's the hot job, right? Everybody's so interested in, What's going on with housing in America? Yes, indeed. So I feel so lucky, as I mentioned, like before that we had like a small talk that, yes, I feel so glad that I'm in this industry for the real estate market, especially now everything goes by like so fast, like uh, economy, uh, so many indicators there to watch. So as an economist, I, I like to dig like through socioeconomic like, and financial data. And actually, I like to, to connect the dots because this is the most important, like uh, to connect the dots and think through various like scenarios and provide like um, thoughts of where the economy like is, uh, is headed. Uh, I especially enjoy like focusing on the real estate market um, and help our members uh, mostly like understand what's really happening in the market and how some factors may impact their business. Um, since all real estate is local, I mostly focus like at local level. Uh, as you know, most of the times, like the national level doesn't reflect the, what's really happening um, in every area. Thus, I take a look at the regional and local market trends, including like the effects of the changing demographic uh, and migration patterns. Uh, so this means that I need to keep up with all the data, like um, data releases, and actually to go at local level and compare between uh, areas to see what areas fare better than other areas. So this is very uh, exciting for me. I do that. I, I work for NAR for the last like eight years, and I feel very happy, and I enjoy every day, every day that I go to the office. And I think this is the most important thing. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Happy Friday, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here once again with the rundown with Robin Rich, where we take you into the weekend by rolling through all the latest in the residential lending industry. Rob, not here yet. He's on a flight that should be landing any second. So he should be jumping on hopefully sometime soon. But uh, very lucky and excited this week to have a special guest in the co-host seat. Decided to class it up a little this week by getting like a real, a real meet Rob and I try to play like weekend economists on the show, very poorly. So we decided to get a real economist to talk about uh, what's going on with housing and uh, housing trends and obviously the housing supply issue. So very pleased to introduce to everybody, uh, Nadia Evangelou, who is the Senior Economist and Director of Forecasting for the National Association of Realtors, NAR, an organization everybody knows. Nadia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Rich. Thank you. Very cool. So, yeah, and really excited to just get into the discussion. Um, and uh, as always, our uh, our attend our viewers, our live audience here. Uh, any thoughts, comments you have, please feel free to ch- uh, dump them in the chat or the Q and A, and we'll go ahead and incorporate them into the show. Also, a little uh, house cleaning, couple items. One, our podcast it's growing like crazy. The, by far, the most people consume this show via podcast. Always like to mention it to the live audience. Uh, just search TMC Connect uh, wherever you get your podcast. You subscribe to our podcast feed; it'll automatically come in, come into your feed. And also, we've got a new recurring show here that we do at TMC called TMC Success Stories, where we take a very specific example of a lender member that saved or made a lot of extra money by implementing a certain business practice. 
with a particular vendor. And uh, we've got one of those uh, next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern and then every other Wednesday after that. So TMC Success Stories, um, look for it on our member event calendar every other Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, really targeted on on, uh, having lenders tell stories that can have pretty direct and immediate impact on the bottom line. So uh, with all that, let's go ahead and get into it, Nadia. Um, let's start with the jobs report this morning because jobs reports get them monthly. They're big. Uh, was pretty strong overall. Stocks are down a little bit today off of it. But uh, just your general thoughts on the employment uh, report that we got this morning. Yeah, the numbers were like uh, higher than what we expected. So uh, the U.S. like labor market like remained hot in May. This is what we see. Even as tighter monetary conditions and persistent like inflation raised worries about an economic like slowdown. So it's remarkable actually to see these strong job gains uh, that we had, like specifically the economy uh, added about 2.4 million like new jobs in 2022 so far. So comparing with uh, with uh, December 2021 uh, until May, we have about 2.4 million new jobs. That's, we are missing about 800,000 jobs in order to be back to the level that we had back in February 2020 before like the pandemic hit our country. In the meantime, another indicator, very important indicator for the labor market, unemployment rate is near record lows. And um, which indicates how strong the labor market is, since it shows that how many people who want a job and are available for work can find a job. Uh, thus, the job market, like recover after the pandemic, this is what we see, uh, has been remarkable rapid, like compared to other notable like recoveries in recent history. And then when we talk, take uh, when we go at local level, we see that, for example, Utah and Idaho are uh, the two states with the fastest employment growth like across the country. Uh, in these areas, in these states, there are actually about 5%, like more jobs uh, compared to pre-pandemic. Uh, also, it's very promising that more and more states are joining the list with uh, job gains, such as like Montana, uh, Florida, Texas, Georgia, and the Carolinas. Like in these states, um, not only the local economy was able to recover the jobs, that were lost during the pandemic, but there are currently there are, there are actually more jobs now than the, like back in March like 2020. So, but what is strong job growth means for the real estate market? Uh, the answer is that as more people enter back into workplace, demand for housing is expected to remain strong as they set their sights uh, into home ownership. So, we expect uh, these strong job gains to. Uh, keep demand like very strong in uh, in 2022. Great points all around. Very well said. And yeah, I mean, demand for housing in general is very strong. We talked all about it all the time on this show with some headwinds kind of holding it back, interest rates and prices, obviously. But to your point, the labor market is charging hard and doing very well. So people are working and making good wages and uh, I think that, yeah, that's obviously had a huge part to do with demand for housing staying, staying so strong. Yeah, and that may help like the Federal Reserve because it's planning to raise again like the short-term interest rates that the market can uh, tolerate another like increase. So this can help a little bit like um, their their policy that what they have like in plan. Excellent. For those that uh, just joined recently, 
Uh, obviously, this is the rundown with Robin Rich, still waiting on Rob, who's deplaning de uh, in his hometown of Reno, Nevada. We'll probably be jumping on here momentarily, but this week also really pleased to be joined by the National Association of Realtors Senior Economist and Director of Forecasting, Nadia Evangelou. And uh, Nadia, you mentioned uh you know, the demand for housing continuing to be very strong and buoyed by uh, a strong employment market. The supply issue, kind of another, the other side of the ledger here, uh, it's just been a prevailing housing supply issue in America that's, you know, just kind of gotten worse through the pandemic here. The Biden administration recently put out a fairly expansive uh, plan to help alleviate housing supply issues in America. Uh, yeah, would love just your, your general thoughts on that plan and you know any, any particular components of it that caught your eye. Sure, yeah, uh, NAR welcomes like the administration's like work on this effort and encourages policymakers to look at a comprehensive action. So we would like to thank the White House like for giving the appropriate attention to the problem. We have a problem of uh, housing shortage. And according to a recent study, for example, like the, it's actually the dual phenomenon of record high home prices and record low inventory that make more difficult for people to buy a home now, like in the last like two years, like now compared to uh, two years ago. Uh, in our report, uh, we call it as the double trouble of the real estate market uh, because we have record high home prices and record low inventory. So it's not only declining affordability, but there is also low inventory. And uh, keep in mind that we underbuilt for the last decade. Um, in the meantime, the, the pandemic aggravated like uh, the housing shortage. From one hand, as uh, like the demand was very strong, many buyers like seeking for bigger or more affordable homes, while home buyers, home, home builders were facing uh, many delays and high costs. So what we did in this study, it was that we estimated how much fewer homes are available now compared to pre-pandemic for its um, income level and uh, due to this double trouble. So, and what we see, for example, for households uh, that earn about 75 to one uh, to 100 like uh, thousand there are more than 400,000 like fewer homes available for sale compared to pre-pandemic compared to 2019 and specifically there are currently about 250,000 homes available for sale that this house, household can afford to buy while there were about 660,000 homes again like now we have 250 and back like in 2019, at the end of 2019, we had about 660,000 homes available for sale that this household was able to afford to buy. And actually, it's getting more interesting when we compare the number of uh, affordable listings with the number of households. So in other words, we take a look how many of the households may compete for its listing. And what we see is that there is one affordable listing for every 65 households of that income group. And actually this is a stark um, decrease in availability from one affordable listing for every 24 uh, households in 2019. Again, like 65 uh, it's now, uh, and it was like 24. So we see um, that there's a stark like uh, decrease in the availability, but have in mind again that this is the national level. So uh, in some expensive areas with even like more uh, serious housing shortages, for example, like in San Jose in California, like we see that there is one affordable listing for every 3,500 households. So 
which is, yeah, it's a crazy ratio, that one. Uh, actually, in this area, if you earn about, again, the same income group, like 75 to 100, we see that there are only 17 listings for that uh, household that can afford to buy. So only 17. And uh, in Oxnard, another um, uh, another example, like Oxnard, Oxnard uh, California, there are only about like 25 listings that this household can afford to buy. That's, there's a serious housing shortage that we need to address. And um, this is what we do here, like at NAR, like in the meantime, with um, rising mortgage rates, um, the dream of home ownership is limited for many, and this is what we expect from many middle income, first time and first generation like uh, home buyers. So urgent action is needed to tackle our nation's like uh, housing supply uh, crisis. However, since um, all real estate is local, we need to address this, the issue at local level as well and to find the necessary uh, policies that will um, work for each of the areas. So some ways to tackle this issue are like, for example, zoning reforms, investment in new construction, uh, expansion of financing um, and tax incentives to spur like investment uh, in housing and convert like, for example, convert um, unused commercial space to residential. So Actually, for too long, um, land use restrictions have driven up like uh, the cost of housing for too many. Um, so NAR supports uh, policies encouraging like states and localities receiving federal funding to explore like high density zoning and other like land use uh, rules that lock out families. Uh, we also support new grant like programs for localities to uh, enact um, like the pro-housing like policies. So it's very welcoming to see this um, action, this plan, and uh, to see like, hopefully to see like more homes to enter the market to ease this uh, severe housing shortage that we have. It can only help, right? It can only help. And uh, we'll see how effective it is. A lot of fascinating stuff in there. One in 65 listings nationally, meeting the definition of affordable. Uh, and you, I think you mentioned it was one in 24 back yeah, in, yeah. in 2019. So that, wow, that really says it all. And some higher end communities that, you know, that number is one in many thousands of, of listings. So really puts things in perspective. You mentioned zoning laws that, yeah, part of the Biden housing plan dangling Department of Transportation money to municipalities that consider uh, rezonings that uh, will allow for smaller parcels and smaller dwellings to be built. And uh, yeah, I think your broader point, it's just, it's a lot, it's, it's a complex issue in that it takes, it takes national, it takes local, you've got other factors that aren't government factored, interest rates and other things too. So, and there's Rob. How's it going? You uh, on the run? On the run from the bookies after uh, Golden State's big collapse last night. No, Rich, uh, you don't you don't pull any punches, do you? No, I'm actually yeah, I'm actually uh, playing. I'm doing some other wagering, trying to make up that uh, make up for that disaster last night. But anyway, don't let me interrupt. Take it away. I'm walking through the Reno be, airport. Slots might Hi, be Nadia. good. Hi, Rob. Hi. <laughs> So, and just going back and forth, Nadia is of Greek descent, so uh, a big Giannis, and how can you not be? I mean, just me as a casual, I mean, it's hard to dislike Giannis. He's he's just got all the all the great characteristics and qualities of a superstar athlete. 
Yeah, he makes us proud every time. However, we were sad when they lost from Boston, like Celtics. But that's okay. Like maybe we can we will make it like next year. <laughs> Listen, Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt. They win that series and probably the NBA title. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think they're going away anytime soon with uh, Mr. Anacupo uh, uh, centering for him. So. But, uh, Excellent. Well, uh, getting back to it. Um, so, Nadia, you mentioned uh, just the home values in America. You know, they're up on average nationally over 30 percent since the start of 2020. Mm-hmm. The historic average for home price appreciation. When you factor in all the things you got to factor in to make it apples to apples is about 3 percent per year. Um, over the last 100, 150 years. So it's caused us to pontificate in this show and others talk of a bubble or a, a correction or like home values in general, you know, given how much they've ran up these last two and a half years, how do you see the home values nationally kind of playing out into the future? Yeah, so this is what like is one of the questions that I receive all the time. But are we headed like to uh, are we heading to a, a housing bubble? But I will say that the short answer is no. Like the the persistent lack of supply, like combined with strong demand, is driving up home prices. Even though, and this is what we see, we expect like more ho- homes uh, to enter the market. The inventory will not be back to the pre-pandemic conditions. Like for instance, in 2019, there were about like 1.7 million homes available for sale. There are currently just over 1 million homes for sale. Meanwhile, the quality of borrowers remains high um, as underwriting criteria, uh, uh, underwriting uh, standards are straight. So compared to uh, the last housing downturn, market conditions are totally different. This is what we see. Like, first of all, we have an undersupply of homes. Uh, however, back in 2007, we had an oversupply of homes. And to give you an idea, there were about like 4 million homes available for sale back in 2007. And as we mentioned, like now we currently have just uh, 1 million homes. And then we don't have this risky like loans. We have reliable like borrowers that they can repay their mortgage uh, since it's so hard like to get a mortgage. So we don't. We expect home prices to continue to rise. This is what we we expect, and this is due to the lack of uh, supply uh, and the strong demand that will remain strong. However, due to uh, higher mortgage rates, like it will like, slow down. But we expect home prices to continue to rise, but at a slower pace. So, to give you an, an estimate, we expect like at the end of the year, like when we compare December 2022 with December 2021, to have about like five percent growth. So we don't, uh, we hope not to see again the double digit appreciation that we had like last year. Very well said, and uh, Rob, an actual economist that agrees with uh, what we've been kind of saying that you know anybody expecting home values to come down anytime soon, uh, just too much demand and uh i feel validated that we've got an actual economist that uh, that that uh, backs up our point so <laughs> it's great i agree can you hear me okay rich yeah we hear you so and this is the rundown with robin rich uh, yeah with the mortgage collaborative joined as always by esteemed colleague and co-host rob chrisman uh, coming in hot off a plane rob yeah how was the flight 
The flight was thankfully uneventful. Uh, the uh, you know I, I need I need to talk about paper towels on airplane uh, in airplane restrooms, but we'll we'll do that some other episode. <laughs> we're not gonna work. We, we need to we need to fully uh, uh, appreciate Nadia and and I don't know Rich. Obviously, I tuned in late, so I apologize. But I wanted to ask Nadia and Rich. This was a question that you raised. What is the average day of an economist like? Nadi, what, what do you spend your time reading the Wall Street Journal? You spend, I mean, what do you, what do you, what information do you look at on a daily basis that helps you come up with your opinions and some research? Sure, yeah. So I mentioned to Reef that this is what I, I'm like, I, I need to keep up with all the uh, data releases that we have. And actually, because I take a look at the local level, this is, I think this is very important to, uh, to customize, like to, to provide like information about your area, because most of the times the national level does not provide, like does not reflect the situation that is like in every, the conditions that are in, in every area. So, and this is what I receive from my members. They want to know about their area, how like the market will perform there. So this is what I try to do, to uh, digest all the data, to connect the dots, which is, I think this is very difficult sometimes to do it because, okay, you have the data, but how can you make like the analysis and the story? So, and then to give uh, to our members like insights about what to expect uh, from uh, the housing market and how other like factors, for example, demographic changes and migration patterns, how this will uh, affect their area and their business. So uh, I'm very happy to be in this business and to see all this uh, data. Uh, but yeah, I have to keep up like every day almost. We have a news release, so we need to keep up with that. <laughs> and uh, then some data that I think is very, very interesting to, to watch, especially when we want to see if there is a turning point. Point. This is what I advise. Uh, we have our median days on the market. I think this is one of the indicators that we need to watch for the following like months because it will. We expect more uh, the, the median days on the market to increase. Now currently it's at 17 days, but we expect and we want to see something about a month. So we expect these uh, median days on the market to uh, increase. So which means that we are not going to have this very competitive like market. You know, we see the 17 million days on the market. And then another indicator like the penny home sales, for example. Penny home sales is one of the indicators for the existing home sales. So uh, pending home sales uh, uh, show what to expect from closings. And this is one of the indicators that we uh, close very closely uh, uh, every, like every month. This is the Rundown with Robin Rich. And uh, this week we are very pleased to be joined by National Association of Realtors, Senior Economist and Director of Forecasting, Nadia Evangelou. And, uh, Nadia, you talked a little bit about some geographical trends that you were seeing in your earlier commentary. And, and some of these we know, right? It's the, the warm weather, business-friendly states that are, we're seeing just an influx of people into, um, <clears throat> if it's uh, Texas and some of the other states that uh, we're just seeing a lot of migration. Anything else is somebody that just watches housing trends across America and looks at a lot of micro markets. Any other trends you're seeing um, maybe that you know, don't make the headlines that a lot of us read or that are just interesting in general? Yeah, so for example, uh, 
demographic trends. Uh, so we see like baby boomers, for example, who are people who were born between like 1945 and 1964 are an, are an example of a demographic like, trend with the potential uh, to significantly influence the real estate market. Like the transition of these baby boomers to retirement is one of the most like of the the most interesting like generational like trends in the the last century and the retirement of these baby boomers it began about like in 2010 is bound to be noticed like in the market for decades to come and actually there are numerous like there are multiple ways this type of demographic like shift can affect the real estate market for example how they will affect the demand for second homes and um, popular like vacation areas as more like people start to retire or how uh, will this affect the demand for larger homes uh, if incomes like are smaller and the children have already like so based on the data the number of households aged 65 and older increased like by 38% to give you like an estimate about like 40% um, during 2010 and 2020. So in the last decade that we have data. In contrast, like households uh, aged below 65, so younger than 65, um, rose by just 1% at point. So 40% and the younger younger than 65, it increased only like 1% at point. Uh, meanwhile, in less than a decade, like the year 2030, uh, will uh, will mark a demographic turning point like for, for the US. Like by then, all baby boomers will be older than 65, boosting even further uh, the number of older adults. But demographics like vary by area. Uh, and oft, often like uh, significantly like that, some areas are expected to experience aging at a faster pace than other areas. So using like the US census uh, data, it's interesting to see that the older adult population is uh, surging in one of the youngest states. Um, like in Alaska, the number of households aged 65 and uh, older rose more than 80% in the last decade. Uh, Delaware, uh, like Nevada, Arizona, uh, and Idaho uh, followed with senior like households increase about like 60% on average. That's population will age faster in these areas as the rate of increase is much stronger and much higher than in the rest of the United States. In addition, like Florida, Hawaii, and West Virginia are some of the states with the highest like concentration of uh, senior households. So in these states, um, uh, we may expect like uh, a bigger impact of this um, demographic change with like more uh, baby boomers to retire. So these are some of the very, uh, I think, very interesting like um, uh, trends that we may see like at local level. So for example, in Alaska and how this affect uh, actually the real estate market, because yeah, they change uh, their, uh, there is like a specific like buyer's preferences when they're like older. So for example, they, they buy like, uh, Big, uh, smaller homes compared to what they had like before. So I think these are some of the trends that uh, affect like at local level, except the migration trends that what we see. Interesting. Yeah, we've had Ivy Zellman from Zellman and Associates on, on the show before, and, and she's been a contrarian on this, also has made some pretty aggressive and accurate calls contrarian uh, in housing over the years. And you know, like her take is basically that because of the changing demographics in America and how households form of those demographics, combined with the amount of people that own 
second homes and investment properties being like at all-time highs right now. Essentially, she's been making the argument over the course of the last year that is right now almost impossible to fathom that we have too many homes in America and that the conventional wisdom that, you know, we've underbuilt for all these years and need this money to make up. Any thoughts on, you know, some of those contrarian uh, positions that have been put out there on housing supply? We expect this demographic change for millennials, for example, because this is another demographic change. Like we expect in the last five years, about 10 million uh, millennials to turn the family life, to re- to to reach the family life, which is like they will, they're going to turn 30 years old. So millennials and baby boomers will keep, this is uh, what I think, like we'll keep demand strong. And of course, we're going to need like more homes. This is what we say. We have more inventory. This is what we see, like, for example, in our data, like in April's data, that inventory is above like 1 million. However, we are going to need even more homes because demand will remain strong. And another factor, except of the demographics, I think we need to have in mind about teleworking. Like another factor that boosted housing demand and actually will will continue to do that is teleworking like two years <coughs> excuse me into the pandemic and the majority of workers with jobs that can be done from home uh, are still teleworking like in the meantime it's interesting to see that millennials or young professionals uh, are the ones that resist more like about uh, according um, according to a study about like 71 percent of 18 to 24 years old said that they will consider uh, looking for another job if their company insisted on them like returning to uh, the office full time compared to 61%. I think it, it was for the age bracket like 35 to 44 and then uh, went down like to 56% for older. <coughs> Excuse me. So we also see that many of them quit and find another job that provides like more flexibility. But how teleworking we have seen like teleworking affecting like uh, significantly the real estate market like um with so many people living from big cities uh, city centers and moving to suburbs and smaller cities while people move for various reasons some of them were like looking for bigger houses um with bigger yards for them to uh, for the kids to play in and office space like for them to work uh, and other like people were looking for more affordable homes this is what we see like more affordable areas in less dense places away from large city centers since they can like telework and indeed according to our home buyers and seller survey the size of purchased homes increased in 2021 compared to uh, 2019, compared to pre-pandemic, that the pandemic uh, has reshaped where we live uh, with workers like no longer expected to show up in person, at least not daily, where they choose to live will continue to change. First of all, we see a persistent like uh, urban, rural rural, uh, migration trend, like in 2021, urban um, areas continue to um, to have migration losses, which means that more people uh, are moving out of the area compared to those uh, who moved in. Like while small cities are um, are experiencing like migration uh, gains. So this is what we see. We need to have like in mind uh, uh, teleworking, how it can play and how it can affect like, the real estate market, especially like at local level. <laughs> Excuse me, I have a question. Uh, Many, 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 and I'm switching gears here somewhat, but many, many years ago, 
we were consumed with news about pigs, Portugal, Italy, Greece, and Spain, about the debt problems and economic problems that they were having. Have those virtually disappeared? And if so, why? And if not, what's what's going on with those countries in terms of their economies? I can speak from about Greece. I'm like, I'm from Greece and I go there so I can see uh, if there is like actually issue we actually don't have like of course the pandemic made it a little bit like more difficult as for every economy uh, but uh, for example in Greece yeah we have like we 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 were able to change it so this is what we see we have more invest investments like in Greece so which can help already help the economy so um of course, there are some challenges and the pandemic made it like very hard for these areas, like for these countries to uh, to uh, like to progress like further. So but we see that we are in a very good place, uh, especially like for Greece in some from Greece. So I wanted to mention this country. Good. I had another question. I know that that uh, lenders are very good at looking at the nationwide economy and the world economy. I would say that they have a broader view of things than realtors, the, the real estate agents that I've spoken to, they tend to focus on, well, this is what's going on up the street and this is what's going on in this town. They don't really care about what's going on with the rest of the state or even the rest of the nation. Have you found that to be the case and how in your dealings with real estate agents, what advice would you give to lenders in terms of talking to real estate agents about the economy and about what they need to be focused on? This is what we want to see. We want to have like lenders and real estate agents to work together. And from my experience, when I bought my house, they were working very well. And actually they made it so easy for me to buy my home. So, um, I think the uh, real estate agents look the broader picture as well. However, they try to see what's going on in their area because it's affecting like more their business. So, but uh, but they want to know. This is what uh, what we receive. Like, I have questions for the international like uh, environment and how this can affect. For example, in Florida, how it can affect the international buyers because they have so many like buyers from other countries buying homes. So they're very very interested to see how uh, the international like uh, economic environment can affect their business. This is the rundown with Robin Rich and uh, lucky to have about 10 minutes left with National Association of Realtors, Senior Economist and Director of Forecasting, Nadia Evangelou. Um, and I uh, got some questions coming into the chat and the Q&A. We'll get to those momentarily. Any questions uh, or comments anybody has for uh, Nadia, please feel free to uh, Put them in the chat of the Q and A. We'll we'll incorporate them into the show. Nadia, how much do you look at rents nationally? I mean, you're the senior economist for the National National Association of Realtors, um, but rent is part of the picture. A lot of times, realtors are helping people find rental homes as well. And just curious, how much you look at the the rental information and increases in rents, and uh, you know, any thoughts or or theories there? on what we've seen over the course of the last year, and maybe what we'll see going forward. Sure, yeah, indeed. Uh, we see that rents uh, in the US like hit another like record high, like so they're rising. Inflation is affecting not only like prices at the pump or the grocery stores, but it has also like spread to housing as well. Like both 
owning and renting are becoming like more expensive. Uh, mortgage rates have increased about like, for example, like 2% percentage points since the beginning of the year. That's the monthly mortgage payment has increased by about like $600 since the first week of January when the rates were about like 3.2% respectively. And we track that. We, we, uh, we, we want to see what's going on in the, real, uh, in the rental market too. Uh, we see that rents are rising at their fastest pace since 1991. And this is mostly due to the housing shortage for rental properties. And uh, when we talk about housing shortage, I would like to mention that we include all kinds of properties. <coughs> Excuse me. So single family, multifamily, and condos. So we don't take a look only at the single family homes. Um, in the meantime, another indicator that is released like monthly is the vacancy rate, which is like very low currently, which shows that there are like few homes, like rental homes uh, available uh, out there. As a result, while potential like first-time buyers need to spend more of their budget on rent because this is what we see. We see an increase based on the government's about like 5% increase in the, uh, the rent. However, when we take a look at the private sector, it shows about like 12%, like 11% like uh, increase in the rents. So we have a double digit like appreciation there as well. <coughs> as a result, like um, uh, they need to spend like more of their budget like on the rent, they, but they also need to spend more on their monthly mortgage payments uh, if they want to buy a home. Meanwhile, about like 20% of these potential first-time buyers, what we see, uh, already spend about 50% or more uh, of their income on rent. Therefore, rising uh, rents and inflation make it like even more challenging like to save the money needed to make uh, the transition into homeownership for these renters. So unfortunately, this is what we see. <coughs> You mentioned pending home sales, Nadia, pending home sales, new home sales, existing home sales, really the three real-time numbers that, that track home purchase activity in America. And you know, we've just we've seen them incrementally all kind of go down you know, over the last month here. Um, as we've gotten into what is typically the heart of buying season in America, people looking to buy homes in the spring and get into new homes in the summer before a new school year. Or, uh, you have no, no weather issues with moving and all that good stuff. Um, and it's because so much of it is psychological, right? And on the flip side of that, as rates were skyrocketing in March and April, we saw purchase activity incrementally increase through much of that two months where we saw rates really, interest rates really run up and values obviously continue to run up. Rates have stabilized, even come down a little here throughout the month of May. These last four or five weeks, we've seen purchase apps actually drop. So there's a psychology factor to it. My theory right now, and I'd love your opinion and Rob's opinion on this, is that right now, anywhere you go to read news headlines, and I read them all because I got to prepare for these shows and everybody right now, it's like, oh, the housing frenzy's over. It's like everybody has, has, has called it dead. Um, you know, the housing market boom is over and, you know, values are going to say, I think that there's a lot of it, that reading and seeing and hearing that ad nauseum is going to cause a lot of people to list their homes here in June. That is my personal theory, just because it's so out there in the news that it's over. I think there's a lot of people that are like, they have not listed their home yet for a bunch of different reasons that are like, oh, crap. Like, you know, it might be time to list our home right now. Any thoughts on my theory there? Yeah, so 
all the indicators like existing home sales went down, pending home uh, sales down, new home sales down. So, and this is what we see that the real estate market has already shown like signs of cooling as like mortgage rates rise. We may have like a break now for mortgage rates, but the outlook is for even like a higher mortgage rate. So it's great news for home buyers because they can benefit from these like uh, low rates that we have at 5.1%. However, <coughs> due to seasonality trends, I expect to see the sales activity uh, to be impacted more after the summer months, like starting in September. Keep in mind that June is the busiest like month for the real estate market. For example, we expect um, uh, home sales activity to fall about 5% in the second quarter of 2022, and then activity will drop further, like about 14% on average um, in the third and fourth quarter of 2022 compared to a year ago, to approximately about like 5.3 like million units. So for total home sales? Yes, and this is the annualized like figure that we we provide. So, for twenty twenty two, we expect home sales to drop uh, about like nine percent. And to give you an idea, we expect about five point five, five point six like million homes to be sold in twenty twenty two. And this is again like compared to pre pandemic, compared to uh, two thousand nineteen, this is again an increase of four to five percent like increase. So yes, we have a slowdown. However, when you compare with the pre-pandemic level, still there is like increase because yeah, last year was like one of the best years since like 2000, uh, like in the last 15 years, like uh, since 2006. So of course we are going to have like a slowdown because uh, mortgage rates are affecting like many home buyers that that have been already priced out. So this will slow down and this is what we see. It's slowing down down the demand. Uh, However, still activity will be like better like uh, uh, better than it was like pre-pandemic yeah i'll I'll chime in and you can hear me okay i know there's a lot of background noise so i apologize for that the um uh, so what i see happening rich and i've been writing about it this week in my in my opening paragraph it's just like somebody's running a marathon or even a sprint and you get to a certain point in that race and you start to you start to get tired the what's going to happen instead of appreciation being at 20 percent, let's say it goes to 10 or five i don't think and we've talked about this on the show i don't think anybody on the call mines five or even 10 percent appreciation i would say 20% is unhealthy for a variety of reasons. First of all, first-time home buyers are being priced out of the market. Second of all, service workers are being priced out of potentially owning a home in the area where they work. Uh, rate, we all know rates have gone up. We all knew rates were going to go up. They are, I would argue that rates are at a more normal level uh, than you know two and three quarters on a 30-year fixed. So what we're seeing is a return to normal conditions and lenders, I think, and real estate agents need to understand that more than the last two years. I mean, we're coming off this sugar high in, in, in the industry back to normal levels, 2017, 18, 19. And I think people who have been through a few business cycles recognize that and are, you know, tailoring their activities and their business models accordingly. We couldn't keep that pace up forever, just like a marathon runner can't keep 
a certain pace. I mean, the pace throughout the race. Well, I don't know. I've never run a marathon, but uh, you know, at some point it's going to peter out. And you know what's going to happen, Rich and Nadi, is the the mainstream press will let's say appreciation goes from twenty percent a year down to fifteen or down to ten, and the headline that we're going to see is you know home price appreciation plummets. Mm-hmm. Gee, it went from 20 down to five or 10. Well, that headline, though, to your point, Rich, grabs attention and psychologically potential sellers think, oh, my gosh, maybe it's time to sell. Home prices are only going only going up five or 10 percent. Gee, we better do something. So I think real estate agents and, and certainly loan officers and originators need to realize that, yeah, I think we're going to be returning to normal levels. And I think lenders and their activities will be returning to more historical levels. And I don't think that's such a bad thing, really. So my two cents. Yeah. And actually, I have to echo that because I'm like, this is what we put out there. I'm like, we want a healthier, like a more predictable, uh, predictable real estate market because yeah, 2021, we didn't expect to see this housing boom. Like back in May, like 2020, we, no, like we didn't have any, like we have a very low activity. And then since like uh, starting from June, July, we, we started to see this like uh, like uh, housing activity to increase. So indeed we want to see, and this is what uh, everybody like says, we want to see healthier. Like it's not healthy to have such a competition out there. Uh, and actually about like uh, due to, high prices and the rising mortgage rates, about like 15% of the households uh, across the country have already been priced out since the beginning of the year, which means that they had the qualifying income like in January to buy the typical home. However, now these about like 18 million households don't have this income to buy a, a home. They need actually about like 30,000 like more to earn more in order to buy uh, the typical home. So this is not of course healthy. This is what we want to see. We want to have like fewer than five uh, offers uh, uh, because this is the national level, level that we have like five offers per listing, which is like very high uh, like ratio. So we want to have fewer uh, offers and to have like a healthier market. Yeah, I think we'd all all like to see that. It's been definitely a little unhealthy as of late. And uh, a couple of questions that have come in the chat. Um, one, Nadia, is just around uh, essentially the percentage of homes that are being bought by institutional investors, non-owner occupants. Any off the top of your head? No. Yeah, it's about, we have uh, currently, we released, uh, uh, recently we released a study is about like 13%, uh, 13.2%. So, and actually compared to uh, 20, uh, uh, 2020, that was an increase. So indeed, we see this trend to have like more uh, institutional investors. Mostly these institutional investors go to areas, for example, that they have like a fast uh, population growth, uh, many millennials, uh, where they can find like uh, uh, renters. Where uh, like, and- like Cleveland, Ohio, right? Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, Texas is mostly. I'm like Texas is one of the areas that we see like many uh, institutional investors. So yeah, so they want to see where uh, home prices are rising fast, when rents are uh, rising fast. However, we see that they. Even though they 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 moved they they pick areas select areas with fast uh, home price appreciation and uh, 
fast rent growth. However, the big areas are affordable areas. So this is what we see. They don't go and buy like the high end. They buy something that is like um, less than the average. So it's like affordable, still affordable. Yeah. And then the next question was kind of along those lines. It was, you know, a lot of the proposals that have been put out there by the Biden administration are more high density housing. To your point from earlier in the show, Nadia, a lot of times that requires local um, municipalities to rezone and, and do other things, making it a little bit more complex. But the question was in and around people want yards and bigger houses, yet they're proposing, you know, but there's no, I think the reason that they're proposing high density, it's just, there's no affordable, if it's the the kid, the 25-year-old living in the basement or the young couple that's both making a modest income or somebody just out of college or a service worker. Like, there's just no, if like where I where I live in Cleveland, you know, we still used to, I guess, have like $100,000, $150,000 houses. And, but now you can't find one of those to save your life. Yeah, so uh, I understand like there are like limited we we want to see like more homes out there. So this is what we want to see like higher density because we need to to be like more homes. Like ADUs is another like example for some areas. And, um, and Rob's, like, Rob's building some ADUs on his vast properties. Uh, we 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 saw that live last week on the show. Yeah, and if you ask me, it works very well. I'm like, if I had my parents here in my yard, that would be perfect. <laughs> no. No, Rich is, Rich is teasing me now. It's, it's, uh, Rich has an odd sense of humor. And I was I was on location on assignment uh, in an area that had some abandoned RVs, which uh, which anyway, that, that's a whole different story. Well, as, as always, the time flies by on the rundown and uh, we're, we're at that point. Um, so I want to remind everybody about our TMC success story series uh, next Wednesday and every other Wednesday after that, please subscribe on podcast. If you're listening to this on podcast, join the live broadcast every Friday at 3 p.m. Go to mortgagecollaborative.com and go on our member event calendar. You can register for the rundown and you're registered in perpetuity for all future. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Even if we don't even allow unsubscribes. No, no I'm kidding. So, um, but uh, Nadia uh, Evangelou, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Really enjoyed having you on the show, your expertise, the outstanding Greek accent, the love for Giannis, uh, uh, and all the knowledge that you spewed at our, our audience. So, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it was such a pleasure. Absolutely. And uh, Rob, uh, always good to see you. You're back in Reno. Yeah, back in Reno. But uh, Sunday, I head to Chicago to scout out places to stay for uh, during the Mortgage Collaborative's big, big uh, shindig in September. So I'm going to be checking out September. Then I go to Fort Wayne, Indiana to speak at a conference there. There you go. Yeah. TMC Chicago, September 25 to 27. I was actually just out at the property earlier this week. Uh, you know, we got some great venues lined up for the night stop and, uh, as always should be a great event and yeah, good stuff. So, um, and, uh, yeah, one more time, Nadia is uh, with national association of realtors, uh, as their senior economist and director of forecasting really enjoy, uh, taking some time to, to join us here on the rundown. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. And to our audience, thanks as always for wrapping the week up with us. Until next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, have a great weekend and a great next week, everyone. Take care. Bye, Nadia. Bye, Rob. Bye-bye. 
For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.